Well, you have to know that um, preparing an Easter message is somewhat like uh, preparing, I suppose, for the World Series or the Super Bowl or the basketball finals. There's a lot of pressure for preachers. I felt that pressure in the room on Thursday when I gathered with 12 other pastors from our area. It's a group that I meet with monthly to share lunch and prayer and encouragement with. And one of the brothers, I won't tell you who it was because you would know him, he said to us as we were concluding our lunch, So, are you ready for the big one? We all knew what he meant. It needed no interpretation. Because there is this sense for preachers who proclaim the wonder and the mystery of the resurrection. As I said in my prayer, a complete unworthiness and inadequacy to speak in a way what this all means. And the potential possibility that it has for each one who would respond to the living Christ in faith. I come today resting on the power of the Spirit at work within me to simply speak a word for my Jesus and to tell you the simple kernel of the Gospel that Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of the living God, died on Calvary's cross as my substitute, as your substitute, paid the final price once and for all, paid the penalty for our sins. He was buried. And according to the Scriptures, on the third day, He rose again. And now outside of Jerusalem, there is an empty tomb. Because, my dear friends, I announce to you again, that age-old proclamation that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And I've invested my entire life on that gospel of Jesus. And I will continue to invest myself all the days of my life as long as God lends me breath to speak a word for Jesus. And so, as inadequate as I feel, I come today as a witness for Christ. I came across an Easter story this week that I'd like to use as a way of launching into our message today. It's a story about a little girl and her pet turtle. The little girl's name was Zoe. And when Zoe was three years old, her pet turtle died. She cried as if her heart would break. Her mother was unable to console her and make her feel any better about the pet turtle's death. Her mother was very glad when Dad came home because Dad would have the answer to it. You see, Zoe's father was appointed to become the chief judge of the South Carolina, South Carolina Court of Appeals. But that day, in the face of his daughter's tears and mourning over the death of the pet turtle, 
Zoe's dad didn't feel very wise and didn't have a whole lot of answers or explanations. In an effort to try to console her, he suggested that they would go out and buy another pet turtle, but this was not to console Zoe. She was smart enough to know that there is a a certain non-transferability among living things. Finally, in desperation, he said, I'll tell you what, we'll have a funeral for your turtle. Well, Zoe was only three. She had never been to or did not understand what a funeral was. So the father tried to explain. He said, we'll have a great festival in honor of your turtle. Well, not only did Zoe not know what a funeral was, she had no clue what a festival was. So again, trying to explain to his daughter, he said, okay, a funeral, a festival is like a birthday party. We'll have, uh, we'll have ice cream and cake and lemonade and balloons. And, and Zoe, I tell you what, you can invite all the children in the neighborhood to come to our house to play. All because your turtle has died. That finally dried her tears. And she returned to her happy self. Not only happy, but terribly excited about the fact that that her friends would be coming because the turtle had died. But then, a very unforeseen thing happened. Suddenly, the turtle began to move. It wasn't dead after all. It was as lively as ever. And that dad, wise as he was, didn't know what to say or how to explain all of this to Zoe. He didn't know what to say, but Zoe did. She looked up at her dad and she said, Daddy, I know what we'll do. Let's kill it. In our world of rationality and law, we understand some basic things about life and death. And one thing we know is that dead things stay dead. They don't get up and walk about. Little Zoe was about to have a funeral a celebration with ice cream and friends and balloons. And if there was to be a celebration, the turtle needed to be dead. In the Gospel of Luke, we read about another funeral celebration that in the end became an event that forever changed the course of human history And my dear friends, I am glad to announce that this unusual and miraculous event still has the power to change lives today. I'm talking, of course, about the resurrection of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, Dr. Luke, in giving his perspective on the resurrection, says that on the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, 
The women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. We know the story well. We've been in Easter services ad nauseum. We know about the women who came on that first Easter and how they'd come expecting death. How they'd come early in the morning while it was still dark. They'd come to pay their respects, to weep, to mourn over one who was dear to them, one that they loved. That's what happens when someone dear to you dies. You weep, you mourn, you grieve. Perhaps you're here this morning and and you know the experience of grief firsthand. Perhaps you're here this morning and and you've felt this loss, this pain. How you force yourself to hold it all together during the service and during the visitation and in the hours afterwards and when people are bringing food and flowers to the house. But at some point in that grieving process, you find that it's necessary for you to get alone and just to pour out your heart. And sometimes you choose to go to the cemetery with a pocket full of tissues to, to cry your heart out and to think through a lifetime of memory. That's exactly what these women had planned to do on that day. They expected death, but instead they found life. When they arrived at the burial place, Luke, John, Mark, Matthew all tell us that they discovered that the stone had been removed from the mouth of the tomb. Their conclusion was that somebody had had stolen the body of Jesus. They wondered about this, Luke said. And in their wonderment, they, they ran to tell the other eleven apostles. These women... I think it's terribly interesting, someday we'll look into that aspect of the resurrection, that it was women who were the first announcers of the glad tidings of Jesus' living and resurrection. These women had unwittingly stumbled upon an event that would completely change their lives and would forever change our world. For you see, on that first Easter, it was the dawning of a new age, a new covenant of grace in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as we look back over the past uh, two millennia, we realize that, that this moment in that garden tomb was the central point. It was the masterpiece of God's master plan. For humankind. This quiet, otherwise normal Sunday morning 
when women came to anoint with spices, expecting death, became instead the most important day in the calendar of the human race, it would indeed become a day that would forever change the world. But the question that we need to answer today is, but what difference does it make for me? What difference, what impact do those strange events outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago have any relevance whatsoever to to people like you and me who live in this 21st century postmodern world? What, if any, are the consequences of the resurrection of Jesus? So for a few moments, I want us to talk about the implications of this Easter miracle that changed our world. And I want you to understand that not only has it changed our world, but it can change your world too. And what I'm talking about today is not legend. It is not myth. It is not merely a nice idea or concept that that Christ followers have concocted, but instead it's something that occurred in history. There's an empty tomb in Israel that bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's evidence in the witnesses who were there, who saw Jesus, these women, the other 11 apostles, as Jesus appeared to them, and then uh, to Thomas and the others, and then to the 500. There were those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection who wrote down very carefully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who recorded the events of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And it's been preserved in between the covers of our Bible today. But beyond all of that, there are millions of people who every year, every year all over the world are experiencing an inner spiritual transformation because they come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ and surrender their heart and life and become a Christ follower. And I'm here today to tell you because of what Christ has done in me and there are hundreds of others who could join me and tell you what Christ has done for them, that you can't live unchanged if Christ comes into your heart and life. Your life will be changed tremendously when you surrender to Christ and receive Him by faith. And friends, in my estimation, there is nothing today that is more important for me to say or more important for you to hear and no more important thing in which all of us should engage but to take stock of where we are spiritually today. Because everything is different depending on whether or not the resurrection is true. I know that some of you are here just doing your Easter thing. And for some of you, you haven't heard a word I've said because you're thinking about the ham that's burning in the oven. Or you're thinking about the Easter egg hunt that you have to organize for the kids this afternoon. But I want to say to you that there's nothing more important than for you to focus on this good news of the gospel. 
that if indeed Jesus is risen from the dead, not only has it changed our world, but it can change your life. But what if he didn't rise from the dead? What if it's all just a concocted story? What if it didn't happen? Interestingly, we aren't the first ones to to ask that question. It's been a question that has been posed down through the centuries. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the first century posed that same question in one of his letters to the Christian people in the city of Corinth in Greece. And Paul said that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then to all practical effect, Christianity is a huge waste of time. That your time here this morning, and mine as well, is just a big waste. That the New Testament is the account of a deluded dreamer who thought he had powers that in fact he did not have, who thought he was somebody that is the Son of God, and indeed he wasn't, if the resurrection is not true. Paul goes on to say that if Jesus did not rise from the dead that then you and I don't have any real hope beyond this life. That the grave is the end. That this brief life in which you and I live, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we've been studying recently, we've, we've seen the wise words of Solomon, that life, all of life under the sun is meaningless. A life lived apart from God is nothing but a vapor, a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. This brief life that we live, is all there is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And what's interesting to me today is to find that there are a lot of people today that truly believe that, that this life is all there is. What's really interesting to me as a pastor is to discover how many people who sit in church pews every Sunday question this and wonder if there's anything beyond this life. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then I tell you, friends, sadly, this life is all there is. That the grave is the victor. And Paul says that if if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we of all people should be the most miserable. We should be pitied if Christ be not raised. Christ didn't rise from the dead. That means that you and I don't have any release from guilt or fear. That means that we are inescapably locked into our past and the shame and guilt of our failures and our past doings, that there's no power that can deliver us from these failures and we are locked into our sinful humanity and there's no way out if Christ did not rise from the dead. If the resurrection didn't happen, then this whole thing of Christianity is a joke, a big fraud, And we ought to forget it and get on with trying to get to the top of the heap in the best way we can if Christ is not raised. But let's look at the other side of the coin. What if Jesus did rise from the dead? What if it is true And Easter is a fact. What does that mean? Well, the first thing I think it means, and the most obvious thing that it means, is that Jesus is then still alive. And because he is still alive, then Jesus is available to you and me by his gracious Holy Spirit. 
this beautiful man whose life and ministry here on earth is recorded in Scripture. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, lived in such a way that it captivated all the people of his day and shook them to the core by what he said, what he believed, and what he did. This beautiful man, Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, of the Bible, could not abide untruth, but was always tender. He was always loving. He was always compassionate. As you read about his life and his ministry, you discover that he was always going after the underdog, the outcasts, the people who lived on the outskirts of life, people who were bound up with their own guilt, people who were bound up with sorrow and shame over their past failures and their own evil. So if Jesus did rise from the dead, it means that He's still available. It means that His promises are still valid. It means that it's possible then. Through the power of the resurrection, it's possible for you and me to move beyond our guilt and to experience the resurrection power to be able to conquer those things where we are weak because Jesus is available to us today. It means that Jesus Christ is in this room and He's by His Holy Spirit reaching out and He's saying, and He's coming up alongside of you by His Spirit and He's saying, I'm here. If you would only reach out and trust Me and lay hold of Me and put your faith in Me. You see, friends, the miracle of Easter doesn't just happen just because He's with you. You need to invite Jesus Christ into your living. In Luke 24, when the women went to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away. They couldn't find the body of Jesus. The two men, the angels, stood there by them and said, Why in the world are you looking for the living among the dead? I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but And I don't know the last time you've been to a cemetery, but there's not much life in a cemetery. Living people are not in cemeteries. A cemetery is a non-life place. And it occurs to me that Jesus, that the angels questions to these women, why are you looking for the living among the dead, is exactly what is happening to many of us in our world today that many people are pursuing life in non-life places. They're looking for life in achievements. If if I get this job, then, then I'll be happy. This will be the panacea to all my problems. If I just get that job, if I just get that promotion, then I'll be truly happy. But then they find out that they're, the job that they thought they wanted so badly is not their dream, but instead has become their nightmare. Some of us think that we can find, find life and meaning in the non-life place of relationships. And so we, we cast our lot with an, an, an individual and we say, I know this person will, will make me happy, will fulfill me, will, will satisfy me, will complete me. And we look for life in that relationship. But some of us have discovered, painfully so, 
that a relationship does not satisfy the, the deep longing and thirst of your soul. And so in our world today, there are many people who are looking for life in non-life places. And so they go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship looking for life here. Don't find it here. Look for life there. Don't find it here. I'll go for life here. Which prompts us to failure and prompts us to forsake vows and commitments that we make. And because we didn't find life with this one, well, maybe I can find life with this one. He seems lively. She seems like the one who can complete my dreams. But once again, we come up short and we find that it's just empty because we're looking for life in non-life places. Or we think that we can find life in the next purchase that we make. No show of hands, please, this morning. Don't embarrass yourselves. But how many of you have gone out in times when you've been depressed, you've gone out and bought something just to make yourself feel better? Am I talking to the right people? Hello? It gets bad sometimes. And we think, wow, you know, I, I feel so down. I think I'll go to the mall. I'll buy something. I'll feel better. Or we buy a new house or the next new car. We don't find life. Why? Because it's a non-life place. There might be a temporary buzz for a moment. I call it retail therapy. <laughs> you might feel good for a moment, but it's not lasting. It's not permanent. And so here we are as human beings looking for life, looking for answers, but doing it in all the non-life places. But the Bible tells us that the same power that broke death's grip over Jesus is available to those of us who have something whose grip needs to be broken in our lives. And here I believe I am talking to the right people. Because there are peppered across this audience individuals who are held in bondage, who are broken, and they're on a downward spiral. But I want to tell you the good news of Jesus, that even for you, there is hope in Christ. Because Jesus is alive. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means. It means that the grave is not the end of the road. It means that death does not have the last word. It means that the thing that you're in bondage to today can be broken and you can be liberated and you can be set free and your life can have meaning and purpose and there's a place in heaven for you. That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means and that's how it impacts your life today. So I would ask you as we come to the close of this service today, what is it that you need in your life? What do you need today? Is it power to get past a family that didn't work so well when you were a child, a parent that wounded you deeply, and you're still trying to get past that because there's resentment and bitterness in your heart and life? 
What do you need today? Is it power to, to heal up from some kind of loss in your life? Loss of a spouse? Loss of a friend? Loss of a job? What do you need today? Is it power to break free from something that's holding you and controlling you and in, in which you are to bondage to? I'm here to tell you today that because Jesus rose from the dead, that we have a God who makes the impossible possible. This is the thing that makes Christianity so unique and so distinctive from all other world religions. The fact that we have a Christ who not only died on the cross on our behalf, was buried in the grave, but we have a Christ who rose from the dead and He lives. His tomb is empty. And that has set everything on its head. And on this Easter morning, death no longer has the last word. The last word is life. And Jesus Christ did all of this to give you life. John says that He came to give you life and that life more abundantly. And because Jesus lives, our illnesses don't seem so nearly final. Our, our fears fade and lose their grip on our life. Our grief over those who've gone on before us is diminished. Our desire to, to press on in spite of obstacles and setbacks is rejuvenated. Our identity as Christians is strengthened as we stand in the, the lengthening shadows of saints down through the centuries who've raised their voices in this mighty Easter proclamation. He is not here. He is risen indeed. And I'm fully aware that in this room today that there are many people. You are not alone. There are many people who are living in a situation that they consider it to be impossible. Some of you are in the middle of something right now that's testing you. You are weighed down by a difficulty that's pressing in on you. And right now, if you were honest with yourself, you feel like there's no way out of this problem. If that description fits you, may I remind you, there's no need to despair. There's no need to be afraid. Because we know the one who can set things right. And that one's name is Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? He's alive. And He's made even the impossible possible. But to experience Easter in your heart, it needs to be more than a historical fact. To experience Easter in your heart, you must take a step towards Christ. And today you can not only celebrate an event that changed the course of human history, but you can celebrate a day in which your life can begin to change and be transformed by His resurrection power.
But please understand me, your life will become a miracle only. It will only become a miracle when you come to that place where you quit playing games with God. Quit holding God at arm's length. And you begin to run to Him pleading for His mercy and grace. And when you dare risk everything with Jesus Christ and say, Lord, will You come into those places in my life, those innermost places of who I am, my friends, that's when your Easter miracle will begin to happen. Our time is gone. Easter, of all the days of the year, I think inspires us to lay hold of the miracles that God wants to work in our lives. It was a day that changed the world forever, but it's also a day that can change your life. So I want to humbly ask you as best I can this morning, what do you need? What would you like to ask God to accomplish in your life? And I think that if the risen Christ were here, if He were to stand in the flesh among us today, He would say to us, He would call us by name. I love that in the Gospel. He called her by name. Mary. And it it wasn't the sight of Him that caused her to recognize Him. It was the sound of His voice. Mary. And she saw the resurrected Christ. Is God by His Spirit speaking your name today? He's here through His Holy Spirit. He's available. And He has power to do the the, what you might consider impossible and make it possible in your life. But you must take a step toward Him for this to happen. So as we close this Easter service, I want to provide you an opportunity for just you and God to speak to one another in prayer. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me right now? I don't know everybody in this room. I know a lot of people in this room, but I don't know everyone. So I don't know where you are in your journey with God. I don't know if you are a believer and all of this already makes perfect sense and you're just celebrating the wonder of the resurrection or if today you're a doubter like Thomas the disciple and you need need more proof. Perhaps you're here as a seeker today. You've got spiritual questions that you're looking to have answered. I don't know where you are in your journey. But see if this this prayer expresses the desires of your heart. Lord God, so much of the time I have looked for life in all the non-life places. I've continually sought release from shame and guilt. I've looked for purpose and meaning in all the wrong things and all the wrong places. But on this Easter morning, Lord, I'm taking a step toward you. I'm coming to you. 
by faith, Lord, I ask you to to reach into the innermost places of my life and and live there and reign there, to be not only my forgiver, but will you, Lord, be my leader? Will you not only save me from my sins, but but Lord, will you will you lead me and guide me to a life that is abundant and full and satisfying, packed with purpose? I believe that you are the Son of God, the one who died in my place and who rose again from the dead to give me life. Lord, I believe and I receive you just now. Spirit of the living God, if there are individuals who are seeking you today, if there are individuals who are hungry and thirsty, individuals who feel powerless in an impossible situation, I pray, Almighty God, that you will move in. You're available. Your resurrection power has been made available to us today. We reach out and we receive it. And so, Lord, not only has the course of human history changed forever, But because of this step of faith, we know too with assurance that our life will change too. We bless your name. We're committed to serve you all of our days. And to tell the good news to everyone we meet. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives.